Today's program is entitled Over the Line. Hello, my radio friends. This is Len. Thank you for tuning in today. I hope you found it helpful by what you hear in these Give Me the Bible programs. Above everything else, I want you to know that God loves you supremely. It's almost inconceivable for some of us to believe that anyone could love us like that, as some of us have done some really terrible things. But the Bible is clear, regardless of what we may have become, And regardless of who we think we are, God loves us no matter what. It would be a good practice when we look in the mirror or see a reflection of ourselves to tell ourselves, God loves me. I am special to him. Anyhow, today's talk is entitled, Come Over the Line. Jean-Francois Gravelet was born in 1824 and he had an incredible sense of balance. His fame spread as he performed as an acrobat and he became known as Blondin, Charles Blondin. On June 30, 1859, he became the first man in history to walk on a tightrope across Niagara Falls. Over 25,000 people gathered to watch him walk more than 300 metres, suspended on a tiny rope 50 metres above the raging waters. He worked without a net or safety harness of any kind. The slightest slip would prove fatal. When he safely reached the Canadian side, the crowd burst into a mighty roar of cheering and applause. My wife and I have been to Niagara Falls, and the power of the water rushing down the river is incredible. The water is very cold and churns and swirls as it races along, with dangerous whirlpools in some areas. In the days that followed his first performance, Blondin walked across the falls many times. Once he walked across on stilts and even performed a somersault. Another time he took a chair and a stove with him and sat down midway across, cooked an omelette, and ate it. Once he carried his manager across, riding piggyback, and once he pushed a wheelbarrow across, loaded with 350 pounds of cement. On another occasion, he asked the cheering spectators if they thought he could push a man across, sitting in a wheelbarrow. A mighty roar of approval rose from the crowd. Spying a man cheering loudly, he asked, Sir, do you think I could safely carry you across in this wheelbarrow? Yes, of course. Get in, the great 
Blondin replied with a smile. The man refused. It's one thing to believe a man can walk across by himself. It's another thing to believe he could safely carry someone else across. But then it's something entirely different to get into the wheelbarrow yourself. It's not enough to believe that Christ theoretically could save you. Until you get into the wheelbarrow, so to speak, and trust all to him, you are not saved. Here's another story. Imagine someone offered you five million dollars. They tell you that they have made arrangements with the bank so that when you came into the bank and showed proof of your identity, you could collect the money in cash. All the arrangements were made. All that is required on your part is to show up to the bank, prove that you are the person who is to receive the money, then you collect the money and walk from the bank with a big smile on your face. But unless you go to collect the money, you don't get anything. There are plenty of people around who know what is good for their health. They have the knowledge. But if they don't do anything with that knowledge, it won't do them any good. There are lots of smokers who know smoking is not good for them. They know that smoking endangers their health and that by continuing smoking, their risk of getting cancer or heart disease is much higher than what it would be if they stopped smoking. But unless they take the action to quit smoking and change their lifestyle, the probability of suffering a premature death will continue to be a threat. It's the same with the knowledge about salvation, that is, about accepting God's kind offer to have eternal life. If you don't do anything about it, if you keep sitting on the fence, nothing will be achieved. Your knowledge, although it may be correct, and you may understand the way to be saved, in the end, You will be no better off than anyone else unless you make the decision to step over the line. On one occasion when Jesus was present here on earth, an influential and wealthy Jewish leader came by night so he wouldn't be seen by any of his fellow Pharisees to ask Jesus some questions. Jesus told him plainly, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Now that's found in John chapter 3 in verse 3. The man, Nicodemus, didn't understand what born again meant. But Jesus explained that he, that is he himself, Jesus, came into the world to save people from the result of their sins. He also told Nicodemus, For God so loved the world 
that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Then comes the key point he wanted Nicodemus to understand. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned. And then, just a little bit later, Jesus announced, But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light. So that, so that it may be seen plainly that what has been done has been done through God. You can read this for yourself from John chapter 3 and verses 16 to 21. We're not told any more about this conversation, but Nicodemus must have considered the words of Jesus very seriously and became a secret follower of Christ. It was only at the death of Jesus where Nicodemus revealed that he had become a Christian, that is, a follower of Christ. He had begun to live by the truth. But in what Jesus said to Nicodemus, there are some things we should not miss. Firstly, he said it was necessary to be born again. Secondly, he said that it is necessary to believe. And thirdly, he said it is necessary to live by the truth. All these things imply action and apply to you and me just as much as they did to Nicodemus. Unless we do something with the knowledge we have, Nothing good will come of it. In these Give Me the Bible programs, I have endeavoured to reveal to you the love of God and what he has done that you can be saved. But in the long run, it all depends on your decision. No doubt there is someone listening today who's thinking, Ah, oh, I would like to be saved and have eternal life, but I couldn't live without my cigarettes or perhaps drugs or maybe alcohol or whatever it could be. What a pity where some individuals are prepared to pass up the best thing they could ever have for the sake of some trivial habit or possession. Remember the little story about the five million dollars and all you had to do was to go to the bank and provide evidence of your identity and you could have the money? My dear friends, how I long for you to take hold of the promises of God and to have Christ in your life. It is obvious to me that we are currently in a sick, decaying and corrupt world and it's only getting worse, not better. 
And all the time God is offering you something ultimately far superior to anything we've ever dreamed about. But unless you make that decision to accept the sacrifice of Jesus and have your sins forgiven and to live a life in harmony with God's will, all that God has to offer will do you no more good than a sneeze in the breeze. We'll stop here and have a little break and uh, we'll come back after this piece of music. I have a song that Jesus gave me It was sent from heaven by the Voice of Prophecy Singers and the album is called A New Name in Glory. Just before the break, I said to you it's important. In fact, it's so important that unless you make that decision to accept the sacrifice of Jesus and have your sins forgiven, and live a life in harmony with God's will. All that God has to offer will do you no more good than a sneeze in the breeze. I want to remind you about God's stupendous offer. It is found in 1 Corinthians 2.9. It says, I has not seen nor ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. Some of you may have migrated to Australia from other countries. Some of you may be children or grandchildren of, of parents or grandparents 
who left the country of their birth and came to this country. At the moment, there are thousands of refugees fleeing from their own lands to go to other countries. Why has this happened? And why is it happening still? The answer is that people want to live in a better land. They want to be part of a country that offers them peace, prosperity, opportunity and happiness. As you know, many refugees risk their lives to live in a better land. There is no doubt that Australia is a good country where there are noble values and respect for others. But compared to what God is offering, Australia is nothing but a slum. Now don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. I love my country and I'm proud to be an Australian. But what God has to offer is so much better than what we have here. It seems to me that anyone would be foolish in the extreme to neglect such a good offer as God has made to us. As human beings, we are subject to conditioning. We are conditioned through various means to act in certain ways, to accept certain things as normal, and to think in certain ways. That conditioning comes about from our parents, our siblings, from school, from the mass media, and society in general. Millions of dollars are spent in advertising in the mass media to condition us to buy certain products or to use certain services. One of the main ploys to get us to buy those products or services is that these products they are selling supposedly will enhance our lifestyle. We're told that if we take certain food supplements, we will become healthier and therefore, by implication, happier. We are told that if we buy a certain brand of car, we will become more popular or more sophisticated and others will think more highly of us. We are told that our lives will be easier and more satisfying with a certain brand of appliances or a certain type of furniture. We are told that a certain brand of hair shampoo or body deodorant will make us more beautiful and more attractive to the opposite sex. We are told that buying a certain book or by attending a series of lectures, we could become wealthy and thereby have happiness. And so many, because of conditioning, work hard to get money in order to obtain happiness, ease, fun and fulfilment, popularity and pleasure. But in the end, 
Those things are of little consequence. Real satisfaction does not come from a factory. It comes from a relationship with our maker, God. I want to remind you of what John D. Rockefeller, the multi-billionaire, had to say about his own life. He said, I would give everything I have if only I could get my health back. It's quite obvious from that sort of statement that things or money does not give satisfaction. So what does God have to offer? Does he offer something that gives satisfaction? The first chapter of the book of Ephesians has something to say about this. I'll give a summary. This chapter tells us that God has chosen us. He wants us in his kingdom. He, the mighty ruler of the universe, wants us to be with him. That in itself moves us us up the popularity stakes. To be chosen by the mightiest, greatest being in the universe is a real privilege. We are wanted. We are accepted. We don't need any particular hair shampoo. Whether we have hair or not makes no difference with God. He wants us regardless. Then the chapter tells us that we are redeemed, forgiven. No, we did not have to do any great deed or pay large amounts of money to be forgiven. God willingly and freely did all that is necessary for our salvation. The sins that drag us down and worry us can be forgiven because God did something about it. However, there is one necessary thing on our part. We need to accept that forgiveness. This is largely what this program is about today. We have a part to play and to accept the gift given for our own benefit. It may not be a new car. It's much better than a new car. To be forgiven and to realise we are forgiven is absolutely wonderful. The mind becomes untroubled and the spirits soar. To know that I'm forgiven is a beautiful thing. It is something that money just cannot buy. This next point may sound strange to some, but God has revealed his will to human beings. His will is revealed in the Bible, although there are occasions when God gives certain people special visions and or sometimes dreams. The Bible tells us God has a plan for each person 
and wants us to be with him for eternity. It seems very obvious to me that being aware of God's love for each of us and of the fact that he is passionate to have the companionship of human beings forever and ever does make us feel very special. God has revealed the future through the prophets. No, he doesn't hide in a dark corner and surprise us with tricks. No, the future, even for people living in these modern times, has been laid out. That is very generous for the supreme being of the universe to let us know what is to happen and let us know his will. The main thing to know, however, is that it is God's will that you are saved. It is God's will, but unless it is your will also to be saved, it will not happen. In the beginning of today's program, you would have heard of the importance of not just knowing about the way to be saved, but doing something about it. Being saved means being given eternal life. There are plenty of texts in the Bible that tell us that we may have eternal life if we choose to accept the conditions for obtaining it. You might say that God has given each person an inheritance, but it is up to each of us to say to God, Yes, please, God, I'll take it. Or, no thanks, God, I'm happy with what I've got. We're not forced. Forcing is Satan's method. God, on the other hand, allows us to choose because he gave human beings free will in the first place. There are those who believe that God picks out who will be given eternal life, regardless of whether they want it or not. This belief, in my opinion, is an utterly false concept. Then we have this text in Ephesians 1.13 which says, And you were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation? Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Simplified, this text means that those who accept the good news of salvation are given the Holy Spirit as a guarantee that they will receive their inheritance, which is eternal life. This text does not mean that those who are given the Holy Spirit will then suddenly be able to speak other languages or tongues, as some people seem to think. No, the Holy Spirit comes into our lives and works in them 
purifying and leading us into a deeper, committed Christian life. There is no need to be afraid of the Holy Spirit as he works quietly, prompting and encouraging us. The other aspect of this verse is about the deposit. When you buy, say, a house or a car, it is normal to pay a deposit. It is a guarantee that you intend to go through with the purchase and pay the full amount later. When you pay the deposit, the purchased item becomes virtually yours as the seller cannot sell the item to someone else. The Bible text uses this concept in another way. God gives the deposit to assure us that eternal life will be ours. I cannot escape the idea that God is very kind, very generous, and is a beautiful God. He has done everything possible that we might receive eternal life. But there is one thing he cannot do. He cannot force us to accept his offer. That is our decision alone. I have made that decision and I am waiting for Jesus to come again to take me home to heaven where I will never be faced with sin and death again. But the big question is, what about you? What decisions will you make? Will you choose life? Or are you happy with the here and now, content with second best? My friends, choose life. Choose today. Stop sitting on the fence. Accept Christ's sacrifice, his life in exchange for yours, that you might have life. Stop procrastinating and say, Yes, Lord, I choose to accept your kind offer. Step over the line. Commit your life to Jesus. It will be the best decision you ever made. God is very interested in your decision, and so am I. Well, that's it for today. Thank you for being with me again. I hope you will join me for another episode of Give Me the Bible next week. In the meantime... I wish you joy, peace, and God's richest blessings.